Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to CC with BB 2.0. Yes, connecting with coincidence, and I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. If you wish to support us here at Connecting with Coincidence, please like and subscribe for more content. Increasing subscriber numbers increases our reach. We have some great guests lined up, and we don't want you to miss them. And those of you watching us on YouTube, write us one of your coincidence stories in the comments section. We will reply. And what are coincidences anyway? How do they differ from synchronicity? How are they similar to serendipity? All three are surprising, unexpected. They are often useful to events come together and the magic happens. Today, a serendipity researcher joins my colleague, Julia Trail and me to answer some of these questions. We started with the question of when is serendipity not a coincidence? Wendy Ross is a senior lecturer in psychology at London Metropolitan University. She is the co-chair of the Serendipity Society and vice president of the Possibilities Studies Network. She is broadly interested in how our thinking is influenced by the objects around us and how the movement of these objects reflect the way we think. That is how mind and environment are connected which is fundamental to our understanding of coincidences. Joining us is my friend and colleague, Dr. Julia Trail, who is Managing Director of the Coincidence Project, which is dedicated to advancing the use and understanding of coincidence, synchronicity, serendipity, and simulpathity. She is vital to bringing these podcasts to you. She is founder and director of Courageous Compassion Connection, dedicated to teaching contemplative practices. She is also a poet and a singer. Welcome to the show, Wendy again and Juliet again, but both of you together. Yes, this is the first time this podcast has had two other people on it, three people. Wendy, tell us about you and serendipity and coincidences. Um, well, so. Serendipity is my research area, if you like. So I spend quite a lot of time thinking about serendipity and about how, for me, it's the mechanism through which what I'd like to call a material agency can, can be realized in the world. What kind, of, ag what kind of agency? A, a material agency. Huh. So what I'm really interested in is these, these role of accidents and um, what I call accidental cognition. So when, when something happens, it's completely unexpected and what that does to the way we think and the, and the way we um, carry on and the, and the trajectory from that. And also um, what sort of state of mind we need to be in to most take advantage of those accidents as they arise in the world. So for that, so that's my interest in serendipity really. But um, my interest in serendipity is potentially on a smaller scale to um, lots of other serendipity researchers who look at serendipity as a, 
as something which expands through networks or um, is, a, is a sort of rhetorical device. For me, serendipity is the moment when, when something from the outside world interrupts your planned cognitive trajectory, if you like, and switches it and changes it. And in doing so, creates something new. Something in the outside world, an object or a person, um, yes, I think I think and and what's interesting is I'm most interested in objects and how the objects can do that. But the more research I do, the more I find that actually the people are really important. <laughs> that sort of irritating thing when your research <laughs> takes you down a route you don't really want it to and you can and the evidence accumulates in one corner. You go, no, 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 but that's not what I like. And but you still keep asking and talking and watching and realizing that that's really where the answer is. Um, so watch this space because I'm still stubbornly clinging on to the object thing, but there's an increasing cloud of people thing um, around me. As a psychologist, I should probably like the people thing. But, um, <laughs> They're going to do that. <laughs> They're going to do yeah. that. People, they kind of get in the way, don't they? But actually, <laughs> so I'm most interested in the object, but I don't think the objects really tell the full story um, in any way. Maybe you're starting to notice that sometimes people carry around the objects. Uh, yeah, there's, there's people <laughs> there's in the world. I don't, I don't know why that happens. What, 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 you're, what you've just described is I'm walking along in my life and something happens that is unexpected and it changes my course. So this is two, another way of defining what you're defi what calling serendipity. An unexpected event happens, but or and it changes your course. A lot of unexpected things happen, but don't you, you seem to require that there be a change of course as a result in the way you think about it. Yes, I think so. And I think, um, um, and the, so, the, so the research that I do is on a very, very small scale. Um, I give people problems to solve or things to do um, in, in, in the laboratory um, with movable objects. I like objects no other people just them no people <laughs> and um and I watch how that sort of problem solving unfolds with the objects and what I've noticed is that people can can have all sorts of accidents happening because the second you're you're playing with objects say for example um I've done work with um words so words finding so anagrams so solving anagrams so you give people letters piles and they can move them around. And obviously, as you're moving things around, you will accidentally put two letters together that then trigger the, the, the solution of the problem. Right. And there's no point that you've thought, oh, if I put these two letters together, this will happen. Instead, it happens unintentionally. Um, what I've noticed is that people make these things happen all the time but they don't notice them, they don't use them, they don't um, expand on them. And that was the most interesting thing about the research that I've done to date is that you can get to the stage even where people are playing with these letter tokens and they make the answer in front of them. So all the letters are in the right order and then they can't go back playing again. And it's not that they don't know the word because 30 seconds later they'll come out with that word, but something, so there's something that happens when the environment can actually throw up all the opportunities that you want. It can be right in front of you. And um, something happens where people just don't see it and don't use it. So for me, that's why there has to be the change in change in direction. Because that's the only way we that's the only way we can understand it. Now, if we ask people about serendipity, 
they obviously will have noticed it because you can't say, well, there was that time when I didn't notice it because that's impossible. Yeah, yeah, right? You're right. Yeah. Um, so, so serendipity in, in stories always involves that change in direction. That's why people like it. That's why people talk about it. But I think it's also important then to distinguish it when you have those controls of people that don't notice it. Yeah, uh, that's. <clears throat> I like to. I like to report. I don't like that it happens. <laughs> I am very good at missing what I'm looking for. That's right in front of me. I'm looking for something else and it's there and I don't see it. And I think a lot of people notice that. It's, I don't know why that is. It's somewhat related to what you're talking about, but having the solution in front of you. I mean, this, is a, this has some profound implications to just living life. If you're having a problem and you're trying to find a solution, it shows up, but you don't notice it. Uh, Juliet, what do you think about this conversation so far? Yeah, I mean, I think that there, there are the events that are lining up and occurring, even if they are lining up of like interstate and what's in front of us, there's a lot an alignment. And that's the thing that we're terming either coincidence or serendipity. And, and then there's perception and the perception or awareness, the recognition of what's lined up is a separate phenomenon. So as a researcher, you're able to observe some alignments that your subjects are missing. The alignment is there, it's present, it's dem demonstrable, but they, they don't see it. And so part of what we've been doing with Coincidence Project is thinking about how do we increase the perception piece so that people are able to become more cognizant and have moments where they go, aha, an alignment, aha, a possible solution uh, versus just letting things pass right by us. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what we're doing. And uh, the way we're trying to do that is to, be, is to have uh, people tell each other coincidence stories, which becomes a way to be able to have them notice them with somebody else, which increases the likelihood that they might notice them again. So a lot of what we're up to is helping people increase the frequency by which they put things together between what they're thinking, what they're looking for, perhaps, and what's in their environment. What's funny about this, Wendy, as you told us um, uh, off camera, is that you don't you don't see coincidences you don't see so what isn't it a lovely irony that you are able to conclude not just that you're a serendipity researcher but that one of your fundamental observations in your research is the solutions right in front of you and i don't see it <laughs> no i don't i don't i um I, as you know, I've, I've been I've been on your show before, Bernie, and um, I remember racking my brain for about seventy two hours for a coincidence for the coincidence story. Those people that that um, that tune in regularly will probably know that Bernie starts off with a coincidence story, and in the end, I think I made something up because I was I was I was so nervous. I just don't. Um, I just, I just can't think of any, and I sort of sit there staring for ages and ages and ages. Um, I can't think of any coincidences that happen in my life. Um, I don't know what that says about me or whether well, that's the question. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, I can think of things that have been fortunate. Um, I can think of, um, I can think of moments where I've been lucky and I can definitely think of pivotal moments that have been out of my control, but I'm not too sure I'd call them coincidences, if that makes sense. So I yeah. can think of moments when, when the, the things have aligned correctly and there's been nothing that's, been behind that there's nothing that I've done to do that there's nothing that um that anyone has done to do that I've just been lucky 
Um, and then, but I'm not too sure that I would call that a coincidence. Uh, Christian Bush was on the on podcast like two days ago, uh, and he he very much enjoys talking with you and interacting with you. Uh, and we we were talk we're talking about uh, the difference between blind luck and smart luck. That's one of his ideas, and. It's, you, you're, you're an attributor to blind luck, as, as you just described it, but you don't do smart luck. Well, no, I don't, no, no. So I, so I, I think, so I can think of times in my life where good things have happened, but I also know that then I followed up on them. And I'm not too sure that they would have happened in the same way um, had I not followed up on them. So I think the smart luck is the, is the, I suppose, generating situations, but you can't guarantee that those situations are going to lead to anything. So you can, you can stir the pot as much as you like, and you're lucky if it works, and then you, when you follow up on it, then that's smart luck. So smart luck to me is stirring the pot and following up on it, but there's still, and, I, and I've talked to Christian about this as well, and in my review of his book, I said the same thing, there's still something contingent in there something you can't guarantee that if you stir the pot correctly and then follow it up correctly that you're it's always going to work oh yeah yeah i mean you just you just can't so so you you can put in place as many um attempts that you can but it doesn't necessarily guarantee anything which i think is tricky when you start talking to people about things like i imagine it's the same with coincidence or serendipity is that people want the answer which answer? <laughs> how they can make it happen. Yeah. So they say, well, if I do this, this, and this, will I have serendipity? And you have to say, well, well no, because serendipity is necessarily contingent. It's necessarily yeah. would you, would you, unpredictable. Would you define contingent, please? So by contingent, I just mean that it's not something you can ever predict. Ah, that's because that's, I need a definition of that because I see it, contingent means it's connected to is the way I thought it, but, but the way you're using it is this, you can't, it's almost a substitute for random. Yeah, it's, yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's, there are things you can't predict and all you can do with serendipity and synchronicity is to set the stage for the possibility. It doesn't mean anything's going to happen. And what you are putting a lot of attention to, which the synchronicity people tend not to think about they tend to think more about how the random it could be explained in some more broad ways the serendipity idea which i got from pretty much talking with christian is more about self-responsibility which i'm trying to be able to to bring into synchronicity that we help these things happen that we are part of making them happen it's not just they happen because they do but they really require our involvement. And that means to be able to take the opportunity and do something with it. It could be even just feel happy about it and think it was wonderful, it felt good, but it can be more than that by acting on it. And I think that's the point you're making very strongly here. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, the, that's what makes serendipity not luck. Um, it, it, is, it is the recognition that something has happened and then this the requisite skills to act on it so it's not just so that's the point about serendipity of not just being um the right time you know an accident but also has to hit the right person they have to have the right skills and, and if you look at some of the serendipity stories 
um they wouldn't you know if you and I so to take an obvious one if you and I came across a moldy petri dish um we'd wash it up right <laughs> we wouldn't suddenly go on on a, on a, on a route to discover so the, the, the you know the classic serendipity story is oh, yeah, Alexander yeah, Fleming yeah, yeah yeah well you said that pretty fast uh Sorry. so I didn't know yeah we understand the, the moldy uh petri dish but uh people listening probably don't know that dish I mean we've heard that dish very <laughs> very often yeah, <laughs> we're, so we're serving up a dish that some of them haven't tasted before that Alexander Fleming had to be uh, what what had to be knowledgeable enough and have the experience enough to look at a petri dish in 1928 or 29 and see something uh see something in that dish that was growing some bacteria that he called a halo of inhibition and in that halo of inhibition he had seen before in 1921 so he recognized there was something in that dish that was killing the bacteria and he didn't think much of it. I mean, that was what was amazing about it, too. He wrote it in some obscure journal and talked about it. He's a bad lecturer. Nobody was interested when he was talking about it. So he didn't get a lot of attention for it. So it, this was a serendipity that required many other people to make mm -hmm. it into uh, one of the saving elements of the, the West or the uh, the the alliance against the Germans to, to win World War II because it helped reduce the uh, infections of World War II soldiers. That, that, and there were a lot of coincidences that took place in going from Fleming's uh, acknowledgement or discovery to the production, my favorite, which is Moldy Mary, who gets very little uh, press, but she should have gotten a Nobel Prize too, because she's the one who found the best way to grow the stuff uh, to make it mass produced. Well, that, that's a beautiful illustration of where it required people to notice and act. And yes. it's the it's acting on the knowing that I'm hearing much more clearly from both from now even louder from you uh, than I heard from Christian, that that's fundamental to, to serendipity. Juliet, what do you think of this? Yeah, I've been mulling over these these questions of when is it serendipity and how does agency play in and what how does luck relate and all of this too. There's um, a song lyric I discovered recently um, that speaks to this by Tom Waits, who, who's a singer I, I enjoy. This song called Little Man. He has this line that says, luck is when opportunity meets with preparation. The same is true in every generation. That's the lyric. So luck is when opportunity meets with preparation. But in a way, what you're saying is that serendipity is when opportunity or luck meets with preparation. As there's a piece around, um, it could just befall anyone and be meaningless. It becomes meaningful because there's something in the recipient, in one of the people present to experience it, that goes, aha, I can do something with this. I didn't see it coming. I didn't know this, but I can do something with it. So that piece about preparation is we can't control the circumstances of this luck, this unknown thing kind of coming across our path, but we do have control over our levels of preparation, the amount of time we spend on variations of things and experimenting. You know, people that are much more rigid that it must be in a certain kind of protocol are not gonna have the creativity um, to necessarily think, aha, now a variation using this other thing. So um, there's both a preparation within some sort of expertise, um, but that often involves repeating set patterns. There's also some looseness 
there's some play in the system, that someone is willing to think beyond the set patterns to innovate those by incorporating something unexpected in order to go in, in a new and um, ultimately, it, you know, there's probably many failures and then we tend to study and talk about the successes, um, which is true for anybody that does laboratory research, you know, uh, I, I think it was, you know, there were, there were a thousand ways to not invent the light bulb, Edison said, or something like that. Um, first, he had to learn a thousand ways not to invent a light bulb. And so there's something to that, you know, needing to do have so much activity uh, that might not yield anything, but it is the pieces around preparation and especially preparation with variety, preparation with creativity uh, that, that then allows us to take advantage of these moments of, of the unexpected that has a potential, recognizing that potential, playing with it. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think this point about failure is really important and it's not something that's necessarily discussed enough um, in the serendipity literature because this idea that you can generate serendipity, well, you can, generating serendipity takes, it carries a risk. There, there, is a, there is a risk to doing these things. If there isn't a risk, then it's not serendipity because there's no luck involved. You just know it's going to happen. So if you're taking an action and you know what the outcome is, then that's not a risk and there's no, there's no serendipity, there's no luck. It, it just is a, a, a development of your skills. Um, so to really increase the chances of serendipity, you have to also increase the chances of failure. And that's and so and so there's, there's a real risk reward benefit ratio going on. And there's something about there being so in terms of sort of innovation and, and business, there's something I think about a sweet spot here that we're coming to ground to where you have to be big enough as a company, for example, to take failure. So you need to have enough resources. Because if you're operating on a shoestring, you can't take those risks because if you lose everything on it, then you can't keep going. But at the same time, you have to be small enough to be flexible, to take advantage of things and to move when they come and when they're, when they're interesting. So that sort of middle ground, it keeps, there's a lot of discussion we've been having on serendipity on this middle ground of not knowing too much about a subject because then you will be too embedded in it. You can't see outside of the theory. Um, but equally, you need to know something to know what to do with the stuff that's coming, coming your way. So that's, that's, that's one of the things that I think is really interesting is how you get yourself prepared to take advantage of these things when they come up. Yeah, and I even think from that about um, some of the endeavors of like citizen scientists of putting out problems that have seemed insolvable to the masses and just having a bit of a competition of prestige or some sort of prize as the reward for coming up with novel solutions um, because one person might not ever have that magical sweet spot of enough knowledge, but not so much knowledge that then they're stuck in the rigidity of that, the norms of that knowledge. So you need folks that have enough and then play in the system. And, and so the crowdsourcing piece, uh, things have taken leaps and bounds, you know, when they just opened it up that we couldn't get past things, you know, NASA's done some of this, I think. and. Um, just seeing like who can come up with a, a novel solution to take us forward and how they got there might involve more serendipity than we know because we're not actually documenting all these processes of innovation um, everywhere that it's happening. No, and we, and we tend to draw a straight line back from the end point to the start. We, we fill in a sort of a linear journey and, and an intentionality. So we, we see what happened at the end and we, we erase all the rest of it and, and it was planned, you know, and we do that in our own lives. I think we draw, we draw stories of our lives that make them a lot tidier 
than than they are if we actually said well do you know what I didn't really know what I was doing I sort of bumbled no, no one says that no one says I sort of bumbled from here to there and I ended up somehow here and I don't really know why instead we we create stories don't we and, and narratives that make it feel like it all makes sense yep <laughs> that's what we do what the going back to some of your earlier comments Wendy is that people don't see it uh the answer is right in front of them. What I think, what I know we are doing with the Coincidence Project is trying to make people recognize that there's stuff right in front of them that's going to be useful for them uh, if they look for it. It's, it's expect the unexpected is a beginning way of being able to understand that. I, I, and what we're doing is more for general population. It's not an academic uh, thing so much. And there's a nice contraposition between the Serendipity Society and the Coincidence Project in that we're kind of trying to run around where the uh, outside of academics and serendipity is very much an academic uh, activity. Uh, where, is this, where is serendipity in regard to trying to get it out to the general public? Well, I think we we I mean, we have all the Serendipity Society has now I think over 150 members, and they Good. come from all um, all different um, aspects actually. Um, I guess we have actually just formed an academic research network yeah. to to try and keep the academic side in one place and not then necessarily have it spread over the rest of the um, sort oh. of the rest of the society. So because we we understand that academic researchers looking at these things need and require different things to the general public or to or to different people and there's there is some suggestion now that there's going to be some people coming forward from the business world and some people coming forward from different places that want to now take the academic network model and put it on a more practical um, footing so yeah we're sort of getting there we're following you <laughs> Well, it's going to be okay. It's, it's always going to be like this, you know, Bernie, backwards and forwards. Well, following, I don't know who's following who, but uh, <laughs> I, I went to your first meeting, obviously, that's where we met. And um, I was, I had to go because I knew it was something in line with where I wanted to go. We didn't have anything. It was, there was no Juliet involved with this. So uh, there's, there's some parallel running here. And uh, part of the fun of, of talking about this is that serendipity, synchronicity, coincidences can happen among and between uh, what each of us are doing, which is why I'm really glad that you're at least looking at some of our summaries and you come onto the show and we can talk about it because I want the synchronicity guys to learn more about serendipity and I want the serendipity people to learn more about synchronicity under the title of coincidences, which I think brings them together. And there's a Venn diagram of overlap between the two and there's some separation. And I still, I think we can learn from each other as we were doing and bumbling along is one of our favorite things to do here. <laughs> I think as well, um, I think it's an interesting time for these. So I also work on possibility. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I've, um, and I think it's an interesting time for all of these concepts for how we, I think we're starting to move away from uh, an idea of a linear rational engagement with the world. And instead, we're, we're, we're moving out to say, actually, do you know what? We don't know what's happening. We don't really know what happened. Um, and at each point, we have, we have, we have a, a selection of pathways in front of us. 
and we need to know how to navigate these better. And so uncertainty, possibility, um, serendipity, synchronicity, coincidence, they're all part of these um, losing a sense of our own agency. And, and it's, so there's something, there's something almost anti-enlightenment about it. I think we've got to the stage we've realized that this idea of a rash, of complete rationality has actually hit some sort of buffer and isn't, isn't taking us any further. And we see all these other things coming out of the woodwork for understanding how we engage when we're in the world and what being in the world really means. And it doesn't mean being in an ivory tower and, and thinking and, um, and solving the world in that way. It means actually being engaged with, with the flow of, of accidents and material of people or whatever there is around us. Beautiful, beautiful, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's almost uh, a thesis, antithesis, synthesis time because there was a big time in human history where it was all flow uh, and still is in some parts of the world. And then rationality came around and is now overdone and destroying our planet with just going ahead for more and more and knowing that uh, the, the mind, the rational mind is going to do it. And now we're bringing the feminine and the masculine together that tries to put them in a balance that allows for a rational way of dealing with the unexpected and the chaotic that are there. And I love how, what you're doing, Wendy, without knowing. <laughs> I was talking to a uh, a, a person yesterday um, about um, about therapy, a psychotherapy. She's a therapist, and we both had come to the conclusion that the kinds of patients that we are seeing are reflections of our own needs. That I'm helping people who are like what I wanted help with, and she's helping people with that she wants help with. Still, we both are still want to evolve because being. Uh, the only way to be in therapy without being the patient is to be the therapist. <laughs> and th there's an old Jungian idea that you're, you're and this is not an object, Wendy, it's not an object, that your problems walk into your office, that, that those things that are moving around called people, not just objects, reflect what you're thinking. And there's a significant body of anecdotes in psychotherapy that suggest a lot of parallels between what goes on with the patient and the therapist, much like what you're talking about, but therapists don't notice it. And part of what fun for me is to get them to notice it. So for you, <laughs> saying that I don't see any coincidences, serendipity, you're kind of like us therapists having to look at a problem that we have for ourselves and try to be able to see what it is that I'm missing. Maybe. Um, I um, we've just finished editing. I've just submitted to the publisher a, a manuscript of um, chapters on serendipity and creativity. And what I learned from doing that is very creative people don't experience serendipity. And that was quite a surprise to me because I thought I thought they would do. And they when they are in flow with the material in the world around them, it doesn't make sense for there to be an accident. It doesn't make sense for there to be a surprise or a noticing. There's something quite disruptive about serendipity. I, I don't know if it's the same with coincidences, but there's something that if you are sort of flowing and moving the whole time, you, you don't stop, so you don't notice that you're, and obviously from a, 
objective perspective, you would see serendipity in all of these things. I mean, there's a there's a super interesting chapter. I wonder if people notice it, which basically describes a serendipitous process. But at the end of it, the, the sculptor says, but I had no serendipity ever. And it's because being so much in flow that act of noticing what's going on and I apologize I live on a train line so we have to just listen to a train go past always at seven minutes past our hour um, and that act of being in flow um, stops you almost you need again it goes back to the sweet spot some level of disengagement from the world to notice what the world is offering you otherwise you might just take it without even without even knowing you're taking it Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, Juliet, you comment on, I have, I'm going to say something about this too, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess this making you think what you just talked about. Yeah, I mean, in the end, I would say that the, the sculptor is, um, in this anecdote, is a master of serendipity. And because of their ability to just constantly dance with the phenomena they're encountering in a way that for them feels so smooth, it's all just being responsive. They have the insight, the creativity, the skills to just take it all and just keep rolling. And in the end, they're, you know, um, in the end, they arrive where they arrive and they're like, yeah, sure, this is just the process. This is flow. And, um, you know, maybe it's not necessary for everybody who's, who's actually mastering it to talk about um, that mastery, but it probably is one of the reasons why it's so hard for a master sculptor to train another master sculptor. They can train students who might be very pedantic and follow certain steps and not have the kind of brilliance. Um, because when we don't have that level of kind of uh, metacognition, that there's a separate layer of awareness with a self observer above the actor, observer, master sculptor in this case, he doesn't have, or she doesn't have a sort of master self observer who goes, oh, look at all the things you just scaffold. Look, look at all the things you just responded to. Look at all of the unexpected and what you did with that. Instead, they're just sort of rocking and rolling. They're flowing with it and they're creating a beautiful sculpture going, ta-da, and that's it. And they can't really talk about their process. And part of, of sharing our process with another, teaching other generations, other individuals is having more metacognition, more self-awareness on this. Um, so the researchers kind of provide a buffer for that. The researchers are coming in, can start to observe and talk and teach about this. But I think, it, you know, I have observed this with master artists who are really the top of their craft. Uh, you know, I'm a singer and I went to graduate school for music and, you know, some of the best singers were, were lousy teachers. They were actually harmful teachers because the way they thought about their process when they enforced that thinking on, an, on a young student who didn't have anything like their level of gift or talent or instinct for it, um, they could actually damage and hurt their voice and their confidence and their psyche. Um, and so, you know, it, it's very interesting, the mastery piece and whether masters recognize. In martial arts, the masters maybe do over, over millennia develop this ability to stay aware of what they're doing and how they're being responsive to the unexpected and to be able to actually communicate that to others. When people write about um, uh, synchronicity, uh, they often say that more synchronicities happen when they're in the flow. Mm -hmm. So we may be talking here about another distinction between serendipity and synchronicity. And it's a very crucial one. The synchronicity is almost like there isn't an agent that I'm part of a process that I don't decide. It helps me decide. We do it together. That's the flow. They're expecting things to happen because that's what they've done, even though somebody else might call them 
odd that they're absorbed right away. So it's just a smooth flow of it. So the, the, the stepping back is, and saying this is important, which is part of serendipity, that's real agency, but that also gets in the way when you're in the flow, as you're so well describing. This is, I, I, as, as you can tell, I'm big on trying to figure out the differences between serendipity and synchronicity, as well as where the overlap is, because right now, this discussion is feeding understanding of each one of them. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think um, I think this, this distance is, it's an interesting part. Uh, it's interesting and part, part of the problem that serendipity has encountered, I think, is the idea of pseudo-serendipity. Is what's her, The idea of pseudo-serendipity. Pseudo-serendipity. Yeah, because this, is, this comes up quite regularly when we have these conversations about serendipity, that if you are seeking an answer to something, then if that answer comes about, it can't be serendipity because you need to have had no sort of no, it oh. needs to have been completely. Oh yeah, 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 I've heard that one, yeah. Um, but I think, I think it, I think that this idea of an entirely pure serendipity is not one that occurs very often. What I think is probably more likely is when we hear serendipity stories, what we hear are people wrestling with a problem. And that wrestling with a problem is what creates the distance. Then something comes from outside of the, the, the system that's formed with this person wrestling with the problem. Something comes from outside of that system and helps to solve the problem. It helps sort of shift things along. Which is why I think it isn't as there's a there's an issue with serendipity and flow, because when you're in a flow, you're not wrestling with a problem. You you're not you're not frustrated. Um, Selena Arfini talks about an idea of aching ignorance when it comes to to what makes you most prepared for serendipity, that you that you're in this sort of feeling. You want to know the answer, and you will play with things. You will do what you can to generate that which is very different, I think, to the idea of being in flow with something where you don't, you're not, you're not, you don't think you have got a problem. You're, you're, you're not encountering that resistance from anything. So there's nothing to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think some uh, people that are able to go into flow states and utilize flow in their expertise, their mastery, they might still have an aching um, longing for some kind of outcome or product that transcends that levels up in some way. And it doesn't prevent them from going into flow. Flow is, is often just about having the skills necessary to become unselfconscious and just become fully immersed in, in a, a sequence of things over some period of time in which the ego or self, the self-awareness, self-consciousness kind of recedes. And there's just doing and being. Um, but I don't think that precludes somebody having a deep, aching longing i mean most most great masters that continue to pr progress in whatever their fields they do have an aching or a longing and we often say you know as we become wiser we recognize how much we don't know and so even a master who knows many many things a master of any discipline any field an expert um might be very aware of how much they don't know and still go into flow states so I just, I think that's maybe a false dichotomy because I think that there can be an aching, a longing that, that recognizes one, one's own ignorance um, and longs to transcend beyond whatever levels, even if those levels are incredibly impressive to someone else, like an Olympic runner who's trying to break a world record, even being able to qualify the Olympics is, is mind bogglingly impressive um, to an outsider, even one in the sport who's only a novice. 
um, can recognize, my God, how do they do all of that with their body to, to qualify and be here? But that, that performer, that athlete is going, no, this is all unfulfilling. I long to break this record. I long to do this thing no one's ever done. And that still drives them to experience multiple times of flow and probably multiple moments of not flow. Maybe then the, the answer to, or the resolution of that ignorance is still contained within the sort of the resolution of that ache feels within its feels within that person's control. Possibly, possibly that may be the difference. Then, so it's not about this sort of aching ignorance, but about how that aching ignorance is is, is eventually solved or resolved if it is ever resolved. Um, so, if it's serendipity, that it 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 is resolved by something that's not within your control. That's that's, that's outside of of that. So there's not. So it doesn't matter how many times how much faster you run around the track how many times you train you never quite break that whatever record it might be but then somebody says oh but have you tried training in this particular way and from outside comes this extra training tip and all of a sudden you're an olympic gold medalist um i guess i don't know i don't run so <laughs> you played rugby you got an idea about it yeah uh, the, the what what i'm hearing from this is we're getting we're we're getting kind of near the end of this today uh, is that from each of you you can have an object a, a goal an idea in mind uh, and i have to i keep thinking back about the creation of the coincidence project and the various aspects of it now that i didn't have any idea of where this was going to go when i came to the 2019 meeting in London and met you, Wendy, um, went with the first meeting of the Serendipity Society, 25 strong showed up to that. And you didn't know where it was gonna go. I didn't know what I was doing there, except I needed to come. And look what's happened with the Serendipity Society. I don't know, I, I know you had a kind of, there was a kind of academic element to it all, at, always that uh, it was an academic thing and now you're branching on the other direction uh, i'm kind of a guy of the streets even though i've been in academics for a long time and i'm a recovering academic like juliet that that i didn't know what we were doing and we were here in the united states where serendipity is not a subject of particular academic interest and very little and synchronicities all over the place people talk about it but we just didn't know what we were doing and we went from one thing to the next, an idea here, an idea, try that, try this, try that. And I, I could say, maybe looking back, and maybe this is retrospective linearity, that maybe, maybe we, we, there was a line there, but I think it was bouncing around and try this, would this work, that person, would Wendy even come to one of these meetings if we invite her kind of thing? Um, and I don't know if she's too busy, but somebody else might come. And it, it, so now we have um, a pretty good two groups going, uh, Coincidence Ambassadors, uh, which meets once a month by Zoom, people who are pretty dedicated to it, about eight of, or 10 of us. And that seemed, it's solid and it's starting to get a few more people and we're starting to do some more stuff, which maybe we'll talk about another time. And Coincidence Cafe, where people come in from, wherever invited by ambassadors and it's a cafe where we like to say come to the cafe and have some synchronicity <laughs> or for you serendipity 
that's what you would have at the cafe if you ever came to it. And then some of those people become ambassadors, but, but they keep informing us. And now there's something more going on called Clubhouse that we might get into too. And who knew Clubhouse when we started this, but it, it just, the information comes. So where I see the flow part of it is in the, in the agency is that we expect something to happen that's weird. We expect weird stuff to happen that can be useful. And it's not disruptive, it's expected. It's, uh, it, I guess it's a saying yes thing, isn't it's it? It's a saying yes thing, yes. If I, if I trace back moments over the past five years that have got me to where I am now, each time it's been a, I can see the, I can see the, the point where I said yes to something that possibly I shouldn't have done or that, or that or the wiser people above me. I mean, it's also why I'm now at the point where I'm too busy to come to your meetings and, and I'm drowning. So I don't know, it's sweet spots again. We're back, we're back at that sweet spot. Don't say everything, guys. Um, but, um, but yes, the, the, the times when objectively you shouldn't have said yes or where it's scary to say yes. I think that fear as well, because it is that fear of failure because really embracing all of these things means letting go of a, a sense of control. And we don't really like letting go of control, but it's saying, do you know what? I'll just see what happens. Now saying, I'll just see what happens is, yeah. that is actually the foundation of all good research, I think. I'll yeah. just see what happens. I've just finished doing some work with um, someone who makes wooden bowls. And I'm filming his, his process as he's doing it. He's going through doing things. And he sits at the start, the, 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 the video that we're looking at, he starts at the start of it. He says, right, so I think I'm going to make this. And I think I'm going to make that. And let me just think about it. Then he says, let's just see what happens and he attacks the wood with the with with the you know with the chisel that he has the gouge that he has and slowly this bowl forms and the whole way through he's saying well I'll just see what happens let's see what comes out of it and I think that attitude is is wonderful and it means all these things can happen but it's also it's also quite a scary one to um develop so trying to get that balance I think is important. You got to experiment. One of the reasons I wanted you to meet Juliet is Juliet is very good at getting overwhelmed with saying yes. She's very good at that. Has had a long history of that. But this idea of seeing what happens reminds me of my nine-year-old son. We were in a museum in Washington, D.C., and uh, he was told not to push that button over there. And of course, we didn't see it, but he pushed the fire alarm. <laughs> And he saw what happened. He wanted to see what was yeah. going to happen. And what happened was we got kicked out of there, but he got to see what happened. And that's the kind of experimental activity that we all are trying to encourage to be able to be wrong or be right and wrong, but take the opportunity. And what I think we're all able to do here, the three of us, is to be able to say yes to things and be able to, after a while, judge which ones not to say yes to but the only way you're going to learn that is by saying yes to the wrong things <laughs> yeah and 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 knowing that i guess at the end of it and and then if you start thinking that the product that the end point becomes less important doesn't it once you start saying there is no end point back to where i was instead you if the question seems to be, will i enjoy doing this not will i enjoy what i get at the end of it or not but will i enjoy doing it um, and if those steps seem like they'll be all right, then yeah, say yes. Just um, like just like Juliet uh, quoting uh, Louis Pasteur, Louis Pasteur, uh, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. There's also the 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 the, the quote of being able to um, 
I forgot. I loved saying that, and I forgot what I was going to say. That's pretty fun. What were you just saying? <laughs> oh, that that we we have to take our chances. Uh, we have to take a chance on chance is another way to be able to say it, and see what and see what happens. And we we got to see what happened here today, uh, having a, a, the first time with with two people on it and two very very delightful people with a lovely conversation and. More, t more talk about one of my favorite subjects, serendipity versus synchronicity or serendipity and synchronicity or and coincidence. That whole thing is part of the fun of this for me is like seeing what happens. Get to see what happens. Oh, it's what I was trying to say was the, the old thing I heard a long time ago growing up. It's, uh, it's the journey, not the goal. And I never understood that, the journey, not the goal. And you've just articulated that uh, more clearly, Wendy. You got to have a little fun doing it. It's got to be, I like learning entertainment interface for that. That's my way of saying it. <sighs> have it be fun and educational. That's what I like. And I think a lot of people do too. But the journey, and we're journeying into... The mystic or something or into something rather with serendipity and synchronicity and meaningful coincidences so 